We learned this week that it is not only the Greeks who've lost their marbles. Thank you, thank you. Too, too kind, thank you, thank you. Good to be here, thank you. OK, settle down. Please be seated. Important not to peek too early. Maestro, some generic Greek music, bazookis and that. Which is to fanfare that we learned of the possible commencement of hostilities in the Anglo-Greek War of perhaps this time next week, if relations continue to degenerate at their present giddy clip. We learned that Greek Prime Minister Kyriakos Mitsotakis, visiting the United Kingdom, had been sufficiently tactless as to mention the venerable rubble, which the UK calls the Elgin Marbles and Greece calls the Parthenon Marbles. Very good. By way of brisk catch-up, the Elgin or Parthenon marbles are a bunch of sculptures lifted from Athens by the UK's then ambassador to the then Ottoman Empire, Thomas Bruce, 7th Earl of Elgin, circa the early 1800s and subsequently flogged to the British government and ever since displayed in high-end stolen goods lockup, the British Museum. We learned that as far as Prime Minister Mitsotakis is concerned, the wound continues to separate. This is an, a reunification argument. Where can you best appreciate what is essentially one monument? I mean, it's as if, if, if I told you that you would cut the Mona Lisa in half and you would have half of it at the Louvre and half of it at the British Museum. We learned that this analogy was not appreciated by UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak, who, in the service of some or other point he believed himself to be making, cancelled his scheduled meeting with Mitsotakis. <laughs> We then learned that the UK intended to ram the snub home by offering Mitsutakis instead a meeting with the Deputy Prime Minister. <gasps> and we then learned that Greece proposed to snub the snub by themselves declining to show up for that. Yes, the always grimly portentous snub snub. As a fearful but resolute British public began filling sandbags, taping up windows and stocking their basements with tin spam in anticipation of the opening broadsides from Hellenic Navy gunboats, the Prime Minister stood in Churchill's footsteps on the floor of the Commons and vowed that he too would never surrender. But when it was clear that the purpose of a meeting was not to discuss substantive issues for the future, but rather to grandstand and relitigate issues of the past, it wasn't appropriate. So we would appear to have learned that a visiting head of government raising an issue that they were absolutely always going to raise, honestly does His Majesty's government read newspapers, is grandstanding. We have not, as of this broadcast, learned what Sunak would call confecting a row to facilitate flouncing from an appointment over an entirely imaginary slight. But Greece may well have learned that if it's this easy to suck the British into a self-destructive scrap, next time they should bring a big wooden horse. Erudite classical illusions. We got them. Elsewhere, however... 
we learned that at least one former American office holder is perhaps less well-versed in matters of history. We learned that California Congressman Kevin McCarthy, who recently made history by being whisked off the speaker's chair by his own party, had been saying things out loud in public. In every single war that America has fought, we have never asked for land afterwards. And yes, a big hello to all our Arapaho, Cheyenne, Comanche, Apache, Sioux and Nez Perce listeners. Apologies to anyone we missed. But we also learned that Congressman McCarthy seems somehow to have represented California's 20th district since 2007 and lived in the San Joaquin Valley, clue in the name, all his life without ever learning that it sits upon territory seized by the United States in the Mexican-American War of 1846-18. 1848. Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo. It's on the website of the US National Archives if you don't believe us. Entertaining, informative, and punctiliously well-sourced. Yeah. Damn straight. Maestro, the national anthem of Kyrgyzstan. For we learned that Kyrgyzstan was having second thoughts about its flag. Actually, you know that chorus we did of people pretending to be aghast about whichever resignation of Will Quince it was? Let's play that, but with some put-upon producer wearily sighing the Kyrgyzstan flag over every mention of Will Quince. No. Kyrgyzstan flag. Kyrgyzstan flag. Kyrgyzstan flag. What are we going to do? Surely not. We'll only ever get one use out of this, you said. You did, you said that. Anyway, we learned that a cohort of Kyrgyz parliamentarians had taken again their nation's banner, though we, for one whimsical news monologue, think it's quite charming. It's red with what looks like a blazing yellow patank bull in the middle. But we learned that the central image is in fact a stylized evocation of an upwards view of the sun through the roof of a traditional Kyrgyz yurt, which you'll agree is more charming still. Come on, agree. Aww. However, we learned that not all Kyrgyz are equally beguiled. We learned that some possibly overthinking Kyrgyz lawmakers, and stick with us here, are concerned that the sun on the flag looks more like a sunflower, and that the Kyrgyz word for sunflower, kunkarama, apologies if we've trod on the pronunciation, but there's never a native Kyrgyz speaker when you need one, is quite similar to the Kyrgyz word for dependent, which is not a self-image a self-respecting nation wishes to internalise. But we learned that there is no consensus on this, and that resistance to any modification is being mobilised. We learned that, as of this recording, not fewer than 249 people have signed a petition to keep the flag as it is. Yes, you might say... There's a flap. For Monocle Radio, I'm Andrew Muller.